We are uh, in the middle of a series uh, called How to Get More from God. And if you were raised in church like me, um, I'll be honest, the, the title just feels weird. Doesn't it feel a little weird? How many were raised in church? Just raise your hand a little bit. Yeah. If it doesn't feel weird to you, whatever. Okay, so I was raised very traditional. And just the idea of getting more from God, like there's a way to get more, I I personally struggle just with that statement. Obviously, I know what we mean uh, by it. And I know that everybody here wants more. More is always a good thing. Everybody thinks more is great. If you know, just think if less is more, think of how much more more would be, right? So that there's a great deal of sense in our society of always wanting more. We don't often think of it spiritually. Uh, but yet I believe there, it applies to us spiritually that we really do want more from God. And as we're going to talk about today, there is a very specific thing that we want more from God in. But we've talked about this over the last few weeks. Now Paul said this to the Ephesians, and this is why we believe that there is more to receive, more to get from God. And he said this to the Ephesians in chapter 3, uh, All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. And this is not Paul speaking in hopeful or wishful terms. He's talking about absolute hope. He is able to do this. God has already given us more than we could ask or imagine. The issue is just do we live in it? Do we experience it? Are we uh, we living in that more? All right. And over the last few weeks, we talked about how to experience more. Very matter of fact, the first week we talked about the experience we have with church, uh, with God through the local church and our experiences in church church. And a lot of people live kind of bored, uh, cynical, somewhat um, partial, kind of partial engaged lives when it comes to the local church. And, and to be honest, if there's anyone in the world who, who has the right to be bored or cynical or partially engaged, it's people like me. All right. It's people like me. I was, I mean, I went to church three times a week for the first half of my life. Anybody with me on that? Anybody at all, right? I mean, I went there the last 18 years. I've been in vocational full-time ministry, which means not only have I seen the good, I've seen the behind-the-scenes ugly nastiness of, of, of an organization led by broken people, right? So, I mean, if there's anybody that has the right to somewhat disengage, to somewhat be bored, and to, and to kind of, you know, naturally have my experience diminished, the complete, the opposite is, is true. The complete opposite is true. In 43 years, at right now in my life, I continue to get more and more out of my experience through the local church because I'm fully engaged. Okay, and that really is the key to get the experience you want to experience out of the local church through, from God is your full engagement. It simply cannot be a partial engagement issue. There's no room for that in, in terms of Jesus, in terms of what he wants to do and the more he wants to give you. And we talked, the, the, the next week we talked about how to hear from God, and I made it real simple. Uh, just if we want to hear from God, what do we have to do? Just read it out loud on the screen. Read his word, that's right. And because this is the way the system works, if we read his word, what happens? Okay, we're going to do this a lot today, so let me just do, let's all pretend we're here. Okay, if you want to hear from God, what? What do you do? You got to read his word. If you, wanna, if, you, if you read his word, what does he promise? We'll hear from God. And, that, and that's, that's a discipline that we simply have to have in our lives. There is no substitute for knowing who God is without reading his word. And then last week, Zach talked about what it looked like to see him clearly, to really experience and see him clearly. And he said, uh, how we see God determines how we live for God, which is very true. And he challenged us with this great list. Do we ultimately see God as infinitely strong, infinitely righteous, infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely loving? Like, do we really live in our faith out of what we see and believe God to be? 
And the reality is if you don't see him that way, then probably are you not only not reading his word, but you're not spending time with him because prayer really is the key, right? Prayer is the key to seeing God, God clearly. It's, it's that ability for us to engage in the conversation where we not only get to bring our thankfulness and our request to God, but that we get to have an opportunity to hear from him and allow our hearts to be aligned with his heart. And that's what prayer does. That's part of, I mean, I've heard the, 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 the cheesy statement, but it is true. Prayer most often usually changes me before it changes the circumstances, before it changes what I'm praying for. It most often changes me. And that's part of that conversation. It's just part of seeing him clearly and engaging that. And he read this uh, passage from Matthew 7, which is uh, a really good passage about prayer. But I, I would, uh, the reason I'm reading it again today is because it actually launches us into the topic for today. And this is from Matthew 7. If you want to look it up in your word, and your copy of the word, I'll, I'll put it on the screen as well. Keep on asking. This is, again, a, a scripture specifically about Jesus teaching on praying. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Keep going. For everyone who asks, receive, and everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, believe it or not, again, it was very, you know, if you read, even if you read your little subheaders in the, in the Bible that you have, it tells you that this particular passage and teaching from Jesus was in context to prayer. And he gives other examples before and after those verses, but it's in context to prayer. But several people, believe it or not, can take a verse like this or take verses like this out of context and use it to what we're going to be talking about today, which is this topic, how do we get more blessing from God, Right? How do we get more blessing from God? And so people will take that verse where we just got to seek it and find it and knock for it and work for it, and then he'll, we'll, we'll get it. And that may, may or may not be true depending on your version of what you think God has planned is for your life. But I'm here to tell you that many people have taken that prayer verse and kind of moved it or moved the pieces around to like, well, that's how you get blessed by God. That's how you prosper, if you will. And it is true, God does want his people to be blessed. I can say that with absolute confidence. He wants us to live a blessed life, but we have to understand what blessed means. We have to understand what blessing looks like in terms of how God views blessings and how he set it up. But here's what I know as a fact, no matter who you are in this room, no matter how old you are, I know that all of you guys have prayed for God to bless you. I know that's true. You know, and it may not be financially necessarily. Maybe you have prayed for him financially, but I know that you've prayed for him to bless you. You've prayed for him to bless your kids. You've prayed for him to bless, you know, the work that you've done or bless a project that you're in. And you've asked him to bless your business. You've asked him to bless your home. And, and, you know, everybody here has that common sense of we pray for God's blessing, favor. That's another good Bible word, right? Another good uh, church word. We pray for the favor of God on our lives in some way, shape, and form. So I know that's true of all of us. But what's also true is that God, and by the way, let me say this, it's really not wrong for you to ask that. It's not wrong to pray that. Let me just say that out loud. It's okay to pray for that. But we are fortunate enough that we have a God who has actually already given us more than we can ask or imagine. We have a God that's already made this blessing accessible to us to be able to live in and to experience and to enjoy. We, we, we serve a God, we're fortunate to serve a God who loves us so much that it's already really there. We've already received more than we could ask or imagine, and sometimes we just don't recognize it to help us experience even more blessing from Him. And so today I want to just kind of walk us through that system, okay, that, that system of understanding blessing and, and being able to really 
lean into it and, and experience to the, the, the blessed life that he's called all of us to live. And it's not usually what people think it is. Let me, let me give you an example of, of uh, how Jesus approached this topic and specific topic to money. Um, he, he approached this topic with his disciples in one of his teachings, um, and he starts off talking about some other things before he shifts to the topic of money. Let me read from Luke. as Luke 6. He says, do not judge others and you will not be, what's the word? Say it out loud. Judged, right? Jesus is already kind of starting them on the understanding of what a system looks like. He says, do not condemn others or we'll come back against you. Forgive others and you will be, what's the word? Forgiven. And then he says, give and you will, what's the word? Receive. Now, you could say that, you know, you could apply that to anything, but when he goes on to say your gift will return to you in full, that's actually in in the original language. That is speaking about resources and funds. He says, when your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. And then he makes a statement that does apply to everything he just talked about, including the judging and the condemning and the forgiveness and the money. He says, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And this is the beginning of, of just a brief understanding in terms of even the disciples' life of all the rules and all the stuff they'd heard growing up as a kid, God had not really changed anything, but Jesus wanted to make it as clear as he could, as simple as he could. This is God taking, this is Jesus taking the complexity of God and always making it as simple as he can for us to hear, receive, and understand is that there's a system in place. And it all centers around these two words, to give and to receive. And when I say system, I want you to think of whatever system, you know, it comes naturally to you. Maybe you're a, a geek and you, you, know, you, you like computer systems and that's kind of how your mind thinks and you know, stuff has to run in a certain order in order for it to work properly. Maybe you're mechanical or an engineer and you know that certain things have to be placed and gears and things have to work together in order for, in order for something to actually work and function. Maybe you're a, a health nut and it's all about you know, what you put in your body and how your body processes and what comes out you know, in, in terms of the, the production of, of how you feel. So it doesn't really matter how you view it. I just want you to hear the word system, and I want you to know that there's something that God created to work a certain way. And this system that Jesus described, I try not to make anything more complicated than Jesus did, is all around this idea of giving and receiving. And it really is a beautiful picture that goes back and forth again that, you know, you can, uh, one of our values at our church is generosity. And we state specifically because we've been blessed by God, we've been given more than we could ask or imagine because we've received, we what? Say the word aloud. We give. And because we know that's the system, we give. And what happens when we give? We receive. And because we receive, we continue to, what's the word? Yeah, it just continues to work that way. And that's the system, let me just say it, that's the system that God designed, that God created, that God planned from the beginning of time, from the beginning of Abraham when he said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the world. This is the system that he created. Now, most of us don't experience the system. Most of us are in another system, and that's a system that the world has created called strive to get. 
And we, and we are constantly in this circle of if I want to get, I have to strive, I have to work hard, I have to press in, I have to you know, do all that I can do. And the promise, so to speak, of that system is that if you work hard, if you strive, you will get. And in order to get, I have to strive, and if I strive, I will get. And the problem with that system is that you don't, you, there's no rest to the striving, and the problem with that system is that you will never ever get enough. You will never understand what it is to get enough or have enough or ever feel any peace about whether what you have will last and be enough. And that's, that's what the world promises. That's what the culture promises. But I'm telling you, there's something else that God created. Let me just take you through some Old Testament verses, some original verses. And these are just examples of ways that, again, I want you to understand how far back this goes. This goes back to when God was dealing with entire nations, entire people groups of his people. And he created the system to be universal. Okay? It didn't matter who you were. It, it was a universal principle. One person could, could affect many people in terms of this system. But in order to receive the blessing of God, in order for them to receive, they, they gave. And, in order, and when they gave, they received. And it just worked that way. Let me, let me give you a couple examples. This one's in, uh, this is to help you set up understanding what blessed means. But this is in Second Chronicles. This is a, a, a time in which the kingdom of God, the people of God, um, were not living. Okay, they were not living in the more that God had promised them. They were not living and experiencing the more that was available. They were not following God's commands. They were not uh, living the way he called them to live. And at that time, the king and the high priests, and they, 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 did, they knew they needed to return to God. And so they read the scripture out loud to the people. They read the scripture uh, in the courts. That's what they used to do. And, and, and declared God's uh, words to the people. And, and at this time, God's people repented. And they began to change how they lived and what they did. And here's just an example of, of how they changed and what God did because of the system he created. Here's 2 Chronicles, if you want to look it up, it's in chapter 31. And we're starting verse 5, he says, The people of Israel heard the requirements, again, this is after everything was read. He says, They responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, their new wine, their olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. It says, They brought a large quantity, a tithe, if you will. A tithe, this is the word that they use, and obviously in still churches today, the tithe equal to tenth, or the first fruits, if you will of what they had received. So they brought this tithe of all they produced, the people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves, brought in the tithes of their cattle, sheep, and goat. And the tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in a great heaps. And they began piling them in late spring, and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. Now, I know all of you know how to read a calendar, so just make sure you know that's only a few months. Nod your head if you're with me, right? Late spring, early autumn, that's just a few months. And he says, here's these piles. He says, when Hezekiah and his officials came and they saw the huge piles, they thanked the Lord and his people Israel. Where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites. And he goes on to say, as Azariah, the high priest from the family of Zodak, he replied, hey, since the people began bringing right? Their gifts, they began giving to the Lord's temple. We have had enough to eat and plenty to, to, to share and pl plenty to spare. And then he goes on to say, the Lord has blessed his people. And this, all of this is what's left over. 
So just get the picture. I love that story because this is one of those situations where uh, they looked at the heaps and they looked at the piles and they, they looked at the, the wealth that had accumulated and they said, wow, what is this? And he said, look, ever since God's people started changing, started doing what they were supposed to do, in this short period of time, they've already received enough and plenty. And what you actually are seeing is more than that. Everybody with me? Nod your head. What you're seeing is actually more than that. So, so not only were they already blessed, he said, no, he's blessed his people. They've had enough and plenty. Actually, the great way to say that would be more than enough. And this is still what remains. This is still what's left over. And that's what I want to make sure you understand. When I say the word blessed, this is your pastor. When I say the word blessed, I want you to know what I mean. Blessed is not necessarily the riches in the context of our North American, you know, Western culture in terms of our riches. That is not what blessed means. Blessed, in, you know, the Word of God is global, it is for everyone, and it has everything to do with the context of who reads it and how they read it. When they talk about blessed, I pull it from this scripture because that is the best way to describe it. It is enough and plenty. Let's say it out loud. Blessed means what? Enough and plenty. One more time, like you actually believe it. To be blessed is what? Enough and plenty. Let me give you a word that, that just puts this all together. Satisfied. Could you even imagine being satisfied in your life? Because that's what blessed looks like. That's what living in the blessing of God actually translates to. Not just that God provides and, and gives me all that I need and that I have enough, but that I, he has also given me more, that I have more to share, that I have plenty, to, plenty left over. I have plenty to give and help make a difference in people's lives. And because of that, I live in a state of being satisfied with God. I mean, most of us can't even picture living in a state of satisfaction. Why? Because we live in a system of strive and get we strive to get, and in order to get, we have to strive. And it's never enough. It just goes round and round and round. And that is not what God created for his people. That is not what God created for the nation of Israel, nor as we continue on, as we're a part of now, we're grafted into the picture of God's people. He did not plan that for you and for me. He wants us to live in the system he created of giving and receiving. Here's another place in Malachi, again, where God's people were not experiencing what they were supposed to be experiencing. And this is, again, God speaking to his people to help them understand just one area. This, again, this is just one part of helping them understand where they had gone wrong. Let's go to Malachi. This is Malachi 3. It says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. Let me read that one more time. You guys read it with me. I am the Lord, and what? I do not change, which means the system he created is still the system in place. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've, been, you've scorned my decrees and you failed to obey them. Again, they weren't doing what God called them to do. You return to me and I'll return to you. That's, that's the part that said, God, you just, this is the way it works. You return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone anywhere? And he says, should people cheat God? This is God asking, hey, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Again, just one example. He says, you've cheated me, the tithes and offerings do me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation 
has been cheating me. Again, this is very important in terms of Old Testament, Old Covenant. The whole nation experienced this because people weren't following God. He said, no, you've cheated me of this one, even just this one thing, you've cheated me. And he goes on to say, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. He says, I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's one of the only things that God actually tells us to test him on. He gave us a system and said, I'm actually telling you, test it. And he goes on to say, your crops will, will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He says, then all nations will call you blessed. Not just that you're going to be blessed, but that you will be recognized as blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Again, this idea of blessing. He says, the Lord doesn't change. This, this is the way he wants us to live. This is the, the, the idea of being blessed and to have enough and plenty is the state of peace and satisfaction that he wants every one of his kids to experience the more of and to get us out of the striving and the getting. And part of that blessing was not just so that we would receive it, but that others would recognize it, that others would be blessed as well. Again, from Abraham on through Christ, we were blessed so that the nation and the world could be blessed by our blessing. So it wasn't just all about you. It wasn't just all about me. It wasn't about us just getting more. It was that when we receive, we give. And then when we give, we receive. So that when we receive, we give. That was why we were blessed. That's why he's put that into place that we can be trusted with what he gives us. We can be entrusted and be faithful. And Jesus taught it this way. I was hoping to maybe paraphrase it, but this is Jesus' sermon, so I just, I'm just going to read it because it's Jesus' words, and I don't want to skimp on Jesus' words, okay? So I'm going to read it all. Instead of paraphrasing, I'm just going to read it all. You guys just listen as you, as you hear the words of God. You hear Jesus himself teach on this principle. This is in Matthew as well. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip, and he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave the five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportionate to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And it says, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account. That's where we get that, you know, accountability. This is where this comes from. And how they used his money. And the servant to whom he's entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful handling the small amount, and I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Same response from the five to the two, regardless of what he gave, same response. 
And it says, the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. It says, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, then why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he goes on to say, then he ordered, take the money from the servant, this servant, and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And then he teaches from the parable, and this is where you pull out of the story, and he teaches this moment. He says, to those who use well what they are given. Even, what's the word? More will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. I I wish I could make it more complicated. But even from the way the system worked in the Old Testament, even the way Jesus describes it, it's really quite easy. The problem is, is that we bring our excuses to God, we bring our problems to God, we bring the issues that we have when it comes to how we view money and how we view things. It's a matter of the heart, but here's usually what comes when it comes to money. People just begin to kind of give their excuses back to God, and again, these are just excuses, but they usually run over two major obstacles. One is people who have more than they do who are not believers, right? So you're a believer, you're a follower of God, but you're looking at someone who has more than you, who does more than you, who's, who's looking at, who's receiving what you're in your mind is blessing, but they don't even follow God. So what's that all about, God? And then we throw up the, if it's not that, we throw up the excuse of look at all the people who are impoverished, look at all the people who don't have basic needs, look at all the people that are struggling. God, if God is even real, how could he let something like that happen? Like, like, God, the, some of, many of those are all claiming to be followers and Christians of you. If you're the person that wants to bless everyone, how could that even be true? And we give these, these excuses to God. So let me just give you two things out of the parable and out of the teaching that Jesus made very simple. First, you are going to be held accountable for you. Now, we've spent a long time this month kind of really focused on one judge in our country. But, but and regardless of where you land on that, let me just tell you something. There's a judge coming, and there's a judgment coming, and there is a judge, an ultimate judge, that is going to judge you and me on everything we've been entrusted. He will not judge you on what they've been entrusted, and he will not judge you on what they, in your mind, seem, seem to have a lack of having, you will be accountable for you. Quite frankly, I think if Jesus was here, he'd tell you that it's none of your business what they have or they don't have. What your business is, is what he's blessed you and me with. And that is where judgment will come, and that is where we're going to be held accountable. And here's the second thing. Because of the way the system works, because I truly believe this is the way the system of blessing works, 
The impoverished nations in our developing, in our developing world, the people who are struggling with diseases that are, that are preventable, with people who are struggling with all sorts of things, at death from preventable illness, I mean, just all of it. Those people, the, the fact that they are in that position in life is not a reflection of God holding out on them. It's because we're holding out on them. Let me just say that one more time. When people struggle in this world, it is not because God does not care. It's not because God's holding out and withholding from them the blessing he wants them to have. It's because his people are. The 240 million Christians in the richest nation of the world who on best, you know, latest statistics, out of that 240 million, only about 12.5% of them actually give their tithe back to God to be used for his purposes. Oh, I'm telling you guys, the, the struggles of this world do not condemn God, they condemn us. And there's no need to pray about it. I mean, we just taught a sermon on prayer, but I'm just telling you, there's no need to complicate it. We only complicate it because we don't want to obey. There's no need to pray. He has already given us the system, and he's already given us the resources, and he's already given us all that we need to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing to the world. If we would only live in the more that he's promised. And that's how we do it. I, I'm going to make it real simple in terms of application today. We, we need to give from obedience and gratitude. And that's the only way to give because it's a heart issue for, for us. It's not, a, it's not a money issue. It's never been a money issue. It's a heart issue. When we give, we need to give from obedience and gratitude. And I promise you, you will receive. I, I, can, I can say that. I can promise you. You will receive. I don't know how you'll receive or when you'll receive or what those things look like, but you live your life in the system that God created and you will live a blessed life. Enough and plenty. Let me give you some scripture here. This is, um, this is Proverbs. Now this is, again, this is interesting because Proverbs are wisdom that are, that's universal wisdom. To, 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 this is like a golden rule. This system that God created is so universal that people who do not believe in God can live in the system of giving and receiving and actually experience some of the blessing from it. That's just the way it works. That's how wisdom works. It's not the fullness of what God plans for his people, but it is wisdom. It says, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Why? Because that's how God made it. That's how he created it to be. Here's how Paul says again to the to Corinthian church. He says, remember that a farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That's how it works. So you must each decide in your own heart. Why? Because it's a heart thing on how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's the gratitude that we have. Not just because we've received so much that we give, but the gratitude in the sense of that all provision comes from God. And we give what we have in proportion to what we have. 
And I don't, again, very much like the verse said, I don't, I don't teach these kind of things to, to lay a guilt trip on you or, or I, don't want, I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I also don't want anybody to feel um, self-righteous and, and judge others that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. That happens in church too, by the way. Guilt and, the, and self-righteousness. This is to help you understand the system that God created and the fact that if you want more, if you really do want more, the next time, I'm just telling you, the next time you pray for God to bless something, I want this little sermon, these little notes to come into your mind and say, you know what? He's already given me the opportunity to be blessed. I'm just not doing it. Again, it's not complicated, guys. We only complicate things when we choose not to obey. We only complicate things when we choose not to obey and surrender to the way God designed something. That's it. I wish it was a little bit more complicated. I'm going to do something different today. I want to share a story of a generous giver. I'm going to highlight someone. He's not here. Um, I, I want to share this story of a generous giver. It's a guy who's been engaged in our church for a little while now and, and, and through a, a ministry of some of the men in our church, but uh, his name is Brad. And uh, the story that, I, that we've recorded, some of the story, we're going to share Brad's story and some of the story of, of Hope Builders with you uh, in another month. So we've been planning that and, and kind of arranging some things to, to, to show you later. Uh, but he shared with us uh, some of the heart of giving that he's lived with his whole life. And I just wanted, to, I wanted you to hear it from his words. This is a man who, quite frankly, has uh, lived in the corporate world and experienced all the, the money and blessing that you could imagine in terms of, of being somewhat successful in terms of the American dream. This is also a man who had to, who had to leave some of that and, and take care of uh, dying and ill family members, who himself, even as a Christian, became ill and suffered a, a, some, some physical disabilities and still has those. And not only did he lose everything, but he was living in, he was, he was forced to live in a situation, let's just be honest, that many of us couldn't probably comprehend. With no power and no water and no food and no money and no, no anything. Matter of fact, for about a year, he lived in that kind of darkness in his life. One of the stories that really got me was as he lived in, this, this, in his home, and his only thing that he had left was his home. As he lived in his trailer, he, he had to sleep against an interior wall covered up with everything that he had because the outside walls were just sheets of ice. And that was that way through the whole winter season of his life. And as he shared a little bit about giving, as he just shared about his heart, I wanted you to hear some of those words. I'll give you a few pictures here. This is Brad's home before we began to help start doing some work on it. We, again, we had teenagers that came uh, to serve. Uh, Don went and helped get some of the story uh, from Brad. Uh, keep going. And, um, and we're, honestly, right now, we're still in the process, but it's, it's his house because of necessity. He needed to stay where he was, but they're rebuilding it kind of from the inside out. You'll see some of the inside pictures as well. We'll, we'll, again, we'll, we'll try to share more of the story later, but I wanted you to hear from Brad what it looks like in terms of his heart of giving, no matter what the season of life has been. Let's watch this together. As soon as I started getting to where I had an extra $5, I started putting money in the collection plate, you know. Uh, I don't know what else I can do to help the church, but I know I definitely owe whatever I can do. But then that never changes. It's not a, 
matter of how much do I owe because of what I've got. It's always a matter of you have to get up each day with a giving heart. And if you're going to believe what the scriptures say, whatever you have, however little it is, if you ever expect to get the Lord's help, you have to give. Or you're not in the right mindset. Your gift is the ability to give. And the act of giving, that's your gift. What that person's getting is also a gift for them. But in your giving, it sets you up to receive. Because if you haven't understood that whatever you have, you have because of the bounty of the Lord, you haven't quite grasped the sermon for the day. You haven't quite understood the message. There are folks that have got the big picture, and you can tell who they are. They're happy, they're vibrant. You can look in their eyes and the way they act and know they're filled with the Lord. They've got the, the Holy Spirit in them. And if you think you don't have enough to give, look at them and, and see the light that they have. They got that light by giving everything they could. There's, there's the want to be a good Christian, and then there's becoming one. And then everything else falls into place. If you believe and let the Lord fill you with the right spirit and the right ideas, all the rest falls into place. You're never so poor that you can't give. I love when he said that, you know, it's a mindset really to just wake up every day with a heart to give. It really is. It really doesn't have to do with what you have. I mean, most of us, it's not an issue of usually not feeling like we have enough to give. Maybe that's uh, some choices you've made, but honestly, it's, it has to do with what system you're choosing to live in. And, 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 and for the majority of us guys, even with our want to be a good Christian, even with our desire to live for God, guys, we're just stuck in the striving and the getting. That's just the way it is. We, we, we live in the reality every day of the striving and the getting and the getting to, because we want to get, we need to strive. And when we strive, we're promised that we will get. But if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to live in that place of satisfaction, if you really want to live and experience more blessing from God, then it starts with giving because you've received and you will continue to receive as you continue to give. And let me, just, let me just share some numbers with you. I hope we'll just bring some hope to your heart. I hope this will just inspire you today because, again, I, I hate to make it about just the money, but, but here's the reality. When you start thinking about the 240 million okay, people that, that, that call themselves followers of Christ that live in the, the richest nation of the world, even if you just take a medium income, um, this is a, a study done by the Pew Research uh, group, it says, even just by the, by, by the medium income of a national number, which is not very high, that if people began giving back to God, bringing back their tithe, there would be $165 billion available to distribute to the world. Let me just share what that might do. 
$25 billion could, re- could basically abolish global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in under five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. $1 billion could fund all overseas mission work currently, leaving $110 billion to see changes made in our communities and our cities and to bring absolute hope to people like Brath, who honestly right now in his life is on the receiving end of God's provision. But every time someone shows up, Every time some of our guys and Don and our youth went, every time someone shows up to his house, it doesn't matter what he has, he always comes out and gives back because he understands what a blessed life looks like. And you may look at it and say, well, it doesn't look all that blessed, and you'll hear his story soon, and you won't really feel like it's a blessed life. Man, if you talk to him today, he's on the receiving end of a God who loves him, of a God who's provided for him and he wants to continue to serve and give back as much as he possibly can. Let's pray together. God, I I will probably just bring this confession to you that even for me, God, I spend far too much of my life riding the line between living, wanting to live in the system of, of giving and receiving to be blessed by you and to have peace and satisfaction, but yet I get caught so much in the world of striving and getting. And my, and my devotion is split and my attention is split far too often. And so God, I confess that to you. I know that for the majority here and listening, God, we are, we are stuck either in the middle or on one or both sides and God, I pray today that you would begin a transforming work in our heart. That it wouldn't simply be about numbers and it wouldn't be about percentages and it wouldn't be about budgets and it wouldn't be about the margin that we have. That, God, people would simply make the decision that they want to be blessed by you. That they want to experience a blessed life. Not that they don't already have an abundance, but what they have, they have never felt like is enough and they will never live with peace. And yet, God, you promised us that there's a way in which we could live with enough and plenty and to be satisfied in you. Oh, God, I wish that and pray that for everyone here, everyone who hears this, that you would do that work in our hearts. God, for you, it's never been about money. It's always been about our hearts. So change our hearts. Break our hearts. Let our hearts confess to you right now that we're stuck in a system that we we honestly feel like we can't get out, but God, you have given us the way. Help us take steps there. If we return to you, you will return to us. God, we believe that promise is true. That when we take a step of faith towards you, you will always meet us there. I pray that's the way we live. I pray that's what people in this room really just want more of. And we'll give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.